0: Oh, Lord, we ask your words to come through uh, Jessica this morning. We are thankful that you have given us a chance to hear her voice, and we pray that whatever is not of you would dissipate, but that what is you would sink into our hearts,
1: that we would hear your word and be given the strength and power to act on it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
2: Alright. Good morning. Um, yeah, my name is Jessica, and it's good and nerve-wracking to be here this morning. My topic is envy and... A little joke that Ian and I had earlier this morning was, I envy everyone who doesn't have to preach a sermon right now. <laughs> Good. Okay. Um, so for those who are just joining us or need a refresher, we are coming toward the end of a sermon series this summer on the seven deadly sins. Um, and there are sort of seven um, habits or patterns of sin that we... Um, can wind up in and um, influence the way that we interact with the world, with God, with others. Um, And as I think has often been the case during this series, um, studying whatever particular topic, you realize that um, there's a lot more there. And so when I kind of started studying envy, it's like, well, how is this really that different from greed? And it's just kind of maybe about wanting other people's possessions. But there's actually a lot here. Um, and it's a lot deeper, and it's kind of about love. Um, so, anyway, it's here we are. Um, ooh, do I remember the right button to push? Page down. Turn it on. Push the button. Still no. Okay, good. Okay. Um, So first we have sort of a a definition of envy um, on the screen, and I have envy contrasted with love, and it's not that envy is more contrasted with love than other sins, but um, it's still a helpful way to think about it. So to love in this kind of situation is to see others good, so good things that other people have, good qualities about other people, good situations in their life, and rejoice in those good things. To envy is to seek to destroy others' good and to sorrow over their having it. Um, That sounds pretty intense, but kind of the more I thought about it, the more I realized that that is actually a thing that we feel, that I feel more often than I am comfortable with. Um, So um, the text that I sort of thought about, there's a lot of stories in the Bible that incorporate envy. Um, We can think about Cain and Abel. You can think about Joseph and his brothers. Um, a lot of really terrible things happen because of envy. Um, this one is the one that came to mind for me for whatever reason. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of read over the whole text of the prodigal son story quickly, and then we're going to kind of talk about envy in general and then come back to the text toward the end and kind of see how how it relates. So I'm going to go ahead and read Kind of the full story. Um, so it's from Luke 15, and the beginning of the chapter, for context, is um, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. And the next verse, which is one of the great things about the Gospels, so Jesus told them this story. And actually, he goes into a few different stories, the story about the lost coin, about the man who went and found the one sheep out of a hundred, to kind of show, to talk about how God values lost things. And then the last story is the story, the story of the prodigal son. And so it says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father interrupted him and said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home he heard music and dancing in the house and he asked one of the servants what was going on your brother's back he was told and your father has killed the fattened calf we are celebrating because of his safe return the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in his father came out and begged him but he replied all these years i've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to and all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And so the older brother is a really great, it's a picture, and we have a picture of him kind of on that side of the screen, um, of envy and of not being able to rejoice over the good of somebody else Um, and some of the reasons why that happens. Um, So there's a lot of places in our lives where envy strikes, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized this was true and how our society, I think all societies, are full of hierarchies, and we kind of go around often comparing ourselves to other people in our workplaces. in I mean, this happens in my the world I've been in of academia, of school, all the time, is it's just sort of like one-upmanship and jealousy. And I work in the registrar's office, which gives me the perilous duty of looking at other people's grades sometimes. It's really dangerous. Um, and it happens in families, between siblings, all the time, in terms of just relationships with the parents and different things. Um, Even in church, envy can totally manifest. And even in terms of how we relate to God. And often, for me, it, it can come in terms of people who just seem to have it easier, maybe. Like, I had a good friend in college who just had a particular way she was able to just go for a run and see something and God would give her this word. And that just never happened to me. And I just couldn't, I just had such a hard time being around her. And at some point I just had to be like, I'm just so jealous of you, and I'm sorry, and I don't know what to do about it. And it just really broke down relationship. And it just felt like she had it easier, and I didn't, and it wasn't fair, and she was better than me. And I think that we just do that subconsciously all the time, is that it just, feeling like other people have something better breaks down our ability to relate to them, to love them, to... Um, Yeah, and and this can happen, I think, in terms of things in our life, health, family history, whatever. Oh, well, that person has it easier because they didn't have this happen to them. And so, um, or that person just has better metabolism than I do. And that's why I feel this way about their body. But the thing is, it's not really about the other person. It's actually depreciating the things in them because we're insecure ourselves. And so we can't love them. Um, And so there's a few different forms that envy takes. Um, Thank you, sweetheart, um, for advancing my slides. Um, The first kind of level is jealousy, and it's just not being able to be glad for things that other people have because we don't have them. The next level is sort of contempt. And in contempt, you ignore the good thing. You belittle the person. you sort of like, well, maybe they got a better grade but, or maybe they got that promotion, but really, like, it's, you feel that the, the thing that the other person has makes you feel the insecurity or your, our um, inadequacy ourselves. And so, rather than being able to appreciate it as a good thing, you just have contempt for that person and push them away. Um, And then the next level up is sort of malice. And It sounds really harsh to say hating the good and destroying it, but this often manifests as gossip, as kind of talking about the person behind their back, as like kind of being glad when they have a bad day, get a flat tire, show up late to work, like just kind of those little those little bitty things of like actually being happy when something not good happens, and that's really just the opposite of love. And it There's in the books that we read there's all these different kind of examples that just helped kind of enlighten this for me We feel offended when other people succeed this just unnecessary competition between people reading false motives into people's behavior Um, And it sort of progresses sometimes from an internal kind of thought to to and kind of a secret feeling to to words and to just kind of the way that we Relate to that person and relate to other people about about them. And ultimately, it sort of spills over to God, or fate, or the world, or whoever you feel like dealt you a bad hand, um, who kind of ultimately gets the blame. So envy is the enemy of love, of our neighbors, of ourselves, and of God. Um, envy rejects our, our limitations, but as humans, we are limited, and we are finite, and it's a good thing that I can only have the gifts that I have, and you can only have the gifts that you have, and we all need each other. And that's sort of in First Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about, you know, the eye can't say to the foot, I don't need you, and the hand can't say to the liver, whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> we just all need each other. And, and you, even if you sometimes feel like a part that's less are still necessary, but if we envy each other, we can't see that. We can't see that we're needed. We can't see that other people are needed, that it's good that we're different, and that none of us has everything. None of us is like God. Um, so we can't love others because we actually don't love ourselves, because the commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, but envy strikes at the core of our identity and of our self-worth, because we see love often as a competition. So what somebody else lacks makes us feel less lovable, like other people aren't going to like us as much as we want. We aren't worthy. Self-worth is measured comparatively, and love is a competition because there's not enough unconditional love to go around. It, it's, it often seems like. At least that's kind of the way that we can look at the world. Um, and it's, it often has to do not with just... Random things, you know, I wouldn't necessarily, like, envy a CEO of some company because they just don't really have anything to do with what I care about, but I really envy a friend who gets a teaching position when I don't because, like, school things are part of who I think I am. So it's often something that you feel is an important part of you or something that you really want or care about that you feel threatened when somebody else... Has that? Um, And it's really an insecurity. Am I good enough? Can I do this? Do people see me? Um, And so in that situation, even if you do get that thing that you want, it's still tenuous because you're afraid of losing it. And it's not grounded in something, a deeper security. Um, Yeah. And it often is also tied to just a sense of powerlessness and, like, life or God or the world has dealt me a bad hand and there's ultimately nothing I can do about it. Like feeling cheated. Um, So I kind of want to go back to the text um, just to kind of see how this gets played out. Um, And again, the background here is that Jesus is spending time with tax collectors and sinners and people who don't fit in society, who usually wouldn't be enviable. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law feel like they deserve God's attention. They've done all the right things. And they're really envious that these, these people who don't fit are getting the thing that they want, that they feel like they've worked for, that they deserved. That is what they've made their whole life about. Um, and so they're not able to rejoice that the tax collectors are being brought into the kingdom. <clears throat> like They're blinded to the good thing that God is doing, because of envy. And so Jesus tells them these stories. Um, And he tells the story about the younger son who goes away and the lavish love of the father um, when the son comes back. And the older son is sort of a picture because he's blinded by his envy and he can't rejoice that his brother came back. He's not able... To see that as a good thing. But he's also not able to perceive the love that his father has for him. Because he says, you know, you never gave me anything. I did all this for you. And it's an open-ended story, which is interesting to me. Because the father just says, you've always been with me. Everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate. And we don't actually get a response from the older son. And it's the same kind of, I think, situation that God presents us with when we see something that makes us envy. God says, but I love you. I gave you all these good gifts, and I gave this person this good gift, and you should rejoice in it. What are you going to do? So I just thought that that was kind of an interesting way that it ended. Yeah, and that particularly the the older son can't rejoice with his brother because he doesn't feel like he's loved. And what's threatened is whether or not he's being loved. Um, And that's really the antidote to envy, is that we need to work from a new unconditionally loved vision of who we are. And that if we have a basis of understanding that God loves us, not because of what we do, how good we are, our achievements, even, like, good Christian things that we do, then, just because we're his children, then we don't have to worry about what other people have, what other people do, what looks, what seems better. Um, And one of the writers talked about how Jesus in the Gospels makes a point of affirming and lifting up people who do lack status or worth, those who count low in the social rankings of that day. He's defying the competitive view of love and and worth because it's not a competition. Um, And so if we have a secure identity based on God's unconditional love, we are able to then appreciate the good things in others without being afraid of comparison. Um, we can also then seek to imitate those people and and with humility and in a sense of like mentorship to be able to say rather than like, oh my gosh, I wanna be better than you to say, no, I see that you have this skill. Can you help me grow in that grace or whatever it is? Um, And we can show love to others just because we are unconditionally loved, we can unconditionally love others, not for the sake of I'm going to do this good thing and then that'll improve my status and I'll seem like or be a better person. Um, We can see all these good gifts as an important part of the body working together and we can practice thankfulness. And that's kind of ultimately, it's just a, a perspective shift to look at what are the gifts that God has given me and be thankful for those first, and then be able to look at another person and just see a good thing and just be thankful, and not compare it to ourselves, but just say, she's really beautiful. He has a great singing voice. He's really good at whatever other part of my job that I'm maybe not as good at, and that's fine. Um, and I'm not good at that. Like, I, the more I... Studied this, some more I realized I actually really struggle with that. And I think we all do. And sometimes just saying, well, be more thankful for what you have feels like a really hard answer because there are other things that would be really good for us to have. You know, like there are real lacks that we perceive. And I kept kind of hitting that wall and not knowing exactly what to do with it. I don't have a good answer to that problem. But I think it really ultimately comes back to trusting that God really does have a good plan and that he really does work for good for those who love him. And then we're not going to see that necessarily always in the short term, but we just hang on to that and that his love is unconditional. And, yeah, I wish I could wrap it up tighter than that, but I think that's really how it ends. So thanks for listening. So, I guess this is the point where we can move into that was really quick um, ministry time and prayer. Um, So, I might pray and then Kathleen maybe come up and say some things too. Um, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your love is unconditional, whether we are more like the younger son or the older son. I think we're all both of those sometimes. Father, I pray that we would see your open arms and your good gifts and the way that you're there for us, even when it doesn't look that way, that you would give us long-term vision. Um, I pray that each one of us in this room would be able to see the places of insecurity where we don't know the foundation of your unconditional love and that you would just fill up those places so that we would live out of that identity and not out of comparing ourselves to others and trying to um, to prove ourselves. Um, and that out of that we would be able to seek to grow and to learn and to become the people who you desire for us to be and to love others um, through Christ. Amen. Just, just stay, okay?
0: I want to thank Jessica. Let's just thank her for sharing out of her heart and her mind and her soul emotions. It was quite psychological, I think, and very helpful. And many of the things she shared, we could just sit and meditate on just one or two of those little jewels. And it represents a whole lifetime. Like, as I was growing up, I had an older sister who is brilliant like she got 99.9% or 100% in chemistry and physics which i hated and so i ended up having to get a tutor to help me get through physics <laughs> god thank god i got out of grade 10 physics <laughs> you know and then i don't know why but my parents named i talked to Simon about this <laughs> cuz sometimes people confuse him with Marcus and I said, well, he's t- much taller, isn't you know, his brother, who we mo- some of us know, my, our son-in-law. And, he's, and Simon says, no, I'm taller than Marcus. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a human error. But, you know, like, we get compared by others. So people would be comparing me. My sister's name is Laureen. I was Kathleen. And we're the Ean bro- sisters, right? Oh you're, si- oh, you're the girl that went to medical school. I said, no, I didn't. I tried nursing school, but I quit. I tried, you know, uh, I I wanted to help people, but I found that I was called to be a teacher, and I love it. I love it. I love poetry. I love literature. I love stories. I love interacting. But you know what? Sometimes people compare you or they mix you up with somebody else. But, you know, this is a... Our community is an upside-down community where we are learning how to appreciate the uniqueness the individual calling, the special creation God has made. And that's what you're talking about. That's the bottom line. And and I, I think I've got, like I left my faith and started pursuing world religions, but then I came back to knowing Jesus through the Larsh movement, which was to do with a community of mentally handicapped or mentally challenged people that actually were able to express a great amount of emotion and affection and, that, and that's what I needed so it's called LARSH, some of you know about it, maybe some of you don't where um, so called normal people and I've first known for a long time that we are all very ab- Shannon helped me out, abnormal supernormal, normal just not normal uh, and it's to, to have permission to be unique and to particularly have permission to be vulnerable and to be weak. And that's really how I came to know Jesus. Before, all my life I was trying to be strong. The go, good old German blood kept kicking in there, you know. <coughs> if it wasn't that, then it was the Irish, the timber kept kicking in. So I had two feet kicking at me. And so this is a wonderful day to celebrate our uniqueness, our specialness, but also to celebrate the fact that we are weak. And sometimes we get really mad because we realize we do need each other, but then that person lets us down. Like, I can attest to that. That just happened last night in the middle of the night. Get, get a phone call. Somebody let us down. I'm not going to come to church tomorrow. Okay. And so, so this stuff happens, Right. And people are sad and they're disappointed. But you know what? We still trust far beyond what you were saying, far beyond each other. Sometimes you don't let us down. Yay, Jessica! <laughs> but then sometimes I do let you down. And so we have the Father God right behind us. So I think we could turn to each other and have a little testimony. or we... So what is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to us? Is the Holy Spirit breathing on something here? Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the light spoke to me. I was gonna commit suicide in 1986. There was no hope for me living my simple life. And I had to live my life completely to Jesus Christ my Savior. But I didn't know how to understand the scriptures of baptism, being dedicated to him. And I yeah, I knew he was real. But I didn't
2: know how to foster the green tree. Not the kind of right? Mm-hmm. the healing came that's
0: taken 26 years. Mm-hmm. That's great, Harold. Mm-hmm. So, so, Harold, would you be open to having someone pray with you today? Yes. Okay. Because what I've discovered, I'm getting up there now, uh, it's not just about 25 years of healing. It's probably going to be walking on into eternity. And we shall be changed. In an instant, we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And we have forever with jesus to celebrate his love for us and so it's not like we're going to be completely you know used to think this is going to be finished in two years i'm going to you know two years and i won't be jealous anymore you know sometimes it's like 25 years and it's Fifty percent, forty nine point nine percent and you know, we're just we're committed to the long haul. Gordy calls it obedience in a long direction or something like that. That's why we keep going to Lower Post. So, Harold, I'm just gonna allow people just to gather around you. That's what is what God does is he brings us together instead of sitting at home in front of the T V listening to a great preacher, so that people can tangibly come and communicate the power of the Holy Spirit, and the love, and also a vote of confidence that God is not finished with this yet, right? And and we all need each other, and we need to be encouraged and to pray for. Monica? So just if people, in a minute, you know, feel released to do that with Harold, just wait patiently, don't run Harold, okay?
1: After the garage sale yesterday, three of us, Gloria and Marie and myself, went out to... uh, Seminar. the ending of a seminar. We'd missed about half of it, but it was a prophet that came from India and was uh, speaking at the Tawasin First Nations territory. And his message was that the church in the end times is going to get this prophetic anointing and there's going to be wonderful things that happen in the church, but very first before that can happen is the church has to become clean and pure, and there's a lot of evil in the world, but we have to start with ourselves first. And it made me really think about some of the things that have happened for some of us in the last few, few weeks. And when people do things that make us angry, that frustrate us, what's our first response is to be angry back We don't think to pray for that person. We are not compassionate. We just get angry. And what's wrong with them? And a lot of it is really what's wrong with us. We need to stop looking at what makes us happy and works for us. The focus has to come off of us. We have to focus on Jesus. And we have to focus on loving and caring for the people in our family. And there's a few people here that we can do some prayers for, a couple of people that are not here at church today that normally are, and we really need to pray, first of all, that our heart is pure, that we are clean before God, and then God will use us to really do a wonderful work in our church and to see some real healing. Thanks,
0: Monica. So maybe some of you identify with my, Monica says. Right now, I'm, I think of the calamity at the back, of course. Peter is deliberately sabotaging the surface with some kind of weird puppet. I don't know why that is. We accept the weird puppet. Oh, it's from the garage sale. Anyway, thank God.